Whoa, I just found a whole box of old podcasts. Anything good in there? Oh, this one. It's Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dog. Hello, dear. Why it's, are you holding your finger in your ear? Because it's another episode of Schmanners <laughs> Late Night. The, not, not too late. late we've night. put the kids to bed. Well, for us, 8.15. <laughs> well, you know, some days you can get it in at nap time. Some days you got to wait till bedtime. And then it's 8.15. And you're all full of cauliflower pizza. <laughs> oh, drunk on life. Yep. Um, and booze. Well, no, we, we've not had really. one beer each. I don't yeah. think that counts. <laughs> no, it we doesn't. We are fully grown adults. Now, let me ask you a question, my love. Mm-hmm. Are you a garage sale person? Like, do you like attending them? Um, Let me think. I think that the answer is I have enjoyed attending garage sales. Uh-huh. Um, but I more enjoy thrift shopping. Yes. Now, okay, here is, I, here's my theory on this. This is the reason I ask, because I know that that's true. Mm-hmm, 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 I think mm-hmm. it is reflective of our personalities, because I would prefer, like, a yard sale, garage sale, rummage sale, whatever, because I am a gambler. Mm, yeah. I'm looking for that big find. Oh my God, I can't believe this is here. This is amazing. You also like to peruse. I do. I mean, yes. Where I think with thrift shopping, as you like, it's a much more patient game. You find thing, you find more average quality. Like, I don't mean average quality. I mean, like, you find a lot of good things that you like. Whereas I'm looking for that one big thing. Oh my god! I oh, can't the diamond believe. in the rough—that's yes, what you're that's looking what I, for. And so that's okay. why that's okay. why you're always looking for. I think at a rummage sale, garage sale, yard sale thing, because you're looking for like, oh my god, they didn't even realize how important and cool slash awesome this thing is that they had. I see. Now, right? see, I like thrift shops. Uh, one because they're inside okay. mostly, and because um, I feel like. Just the the virtue of it all being like displayed and out is a lot easier. It's just too because like that's a store. So, but uh, I don't like to dig for things. I do not. I cannot go to those uh, thrift shops that like just put things in a bin that you have to dig oh, through. Oh, yeah, no, I don't care for No, that. do not like. I'll do tell you. not like. I like things organized. I love it when a thrift store organizes things by color. That mm, is fun. Amazing. I do like that. Going through t-shirts separated by color oh, is incredible. So great. But I, I will say that I know something you and I both like, which is like the flea market, the, oh, what yeah. it, the Rose Bowl. Oh, that was so fun. That one. And then I feel like there's other big ones. I, I, I've I, been to a couple because I- Didn't Jesse we go Thorne to- We went to them. one in LA, didn't we? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That was like the Rose Bowl in Pasadena or yes, something, right? Yes, That's where it was. It was this huge one every Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And that, I think, is a combination of our two loves where they have all this vintage clothing, but all also, here's a big case full of stuff. Make me an offer. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about, let's just call it sales at this uh, point, because uh, I hate saying garage sale, rummage sale, yard sale, 
whatever. And I think that they are unique to the flea market or the thrift shop experience because it is a much more like, I, I had, I, we did a lot of them growing up. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember my mom doing like one or two. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of through traffic on my street. So ah. it was difficult to like advertise it enough to get people to come that weren't our neighbors. And it just felt really weird selling your old junk to na- your neighbors. See, our, <laughs> our house growing up was on a, not like the main strip to get to the park, which is like the big, you know, the big park in town, Ritter Park. But, like, we had traffic that passed by constantly. Mm-hmm. It was, like, a big neighborhood. And if you put a sign in the park, people could probably right. walk to your house. Well, I can see where my house is now. I don't care. None of us live there anymore. <laughs> but it was, like, right on 10th Street and Huntington. Most of it is a grid. Mm-hmm. And so it was, like, going out from that, like, there were tons of people. So we used to do them all the time. And it is, it's, okay, for me, the reason that they are so great is because, one, I think they represent the, I don't want this, but maybe somebody does, mm. of recycling. And also, when you're a kid, maybe some money. May- even if it's just like, I got a dollar for all these old toys. Yeah, I couldn't spend the toys, but I can spend this dollar. <laughs> now, are they a like a recent thing? Okay, so. I, I used to try to guess. Yeah. I have no idea anymore. All right. The 1800s, the early 1800s. Okay. See, I thought you were going to like surprise me and be like, the ancient Romans. <laughs> well, all Flavius, right. Yes, I will give you okay. one DNR. Okay. Here's the-, the thing as long as people have had extra junk they and they want to sell it, that's like a yard sale. But a lot of people didn't have a lot of extra junk. Like the consumerism is fairly recent. Yeah. But the roots of the yard sale go back actually to the shipping yard okay i expected more of an uh oh because it had yard in it yeah a little bit okay but like sure a yard's a yard i've always said that you've always said that a yard's a yard how many you've only said that like twice now how many times do i have to say it before it's an always (laughs) thing is it constantly all right so in the early 1800s shipping yards would sell unclaimed cargo and leftover warehouse items. Like storage wars. At deeply discounted prices. Well, not yeah. exactly like storage wars then. Well, but, I mean, okay. you can get it at a deep discount if nobody else wants it. I mean, sure, but you're still... <laughs> storage wars, if you like, if you think about storage wars for one second too long, you're like, wait a minute, this is very horrifying and morbid, this thing that they're doing. You're trying to buy people's things for pennies on the dollar because they couldn't afford to pay their rent, or maybe they died. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Um, so these dock sales were often called rummage sales, and over time became known you would rummage through things as to find rummage what you wanted. Because wait, what were they called? Rum, rum. Okay, folks, I just looked it up. I did thirty seconds of research. That's why you heard that static sound because I didn't want you to have to listen to me, Google. Okay, this is very interesting to me because I've always assumed rummage sales got the name because you rummaged around, right? And I. The word is that it did get that in a way. Well, so it's kind of the other way around. From what I can tell, here's what's up. Rummage comes from rumage, comes from arrumage, like an old French word, arrumage, which means something like a mixture of miscellaneous items Mm -hmm. that came to be used for 
stuff in a cargo hold. Ah, so rummage as a noun, not so, as a verb. So then it was a rumage, which then the English shortened that and stole it and just said rumage, right? That then became rummage. Love it. Yeah. So these sails were super popular and began to spread away from the shipyards because everything awesome spreads real fast, right? Yes. Uh, and, you know, they went through a couple of different, like, metamorphoses. Sometimes uh, these sort of things were, like, masqueraded as charity bazaars and yes. things like that. Um, because a lot of social spaces, like churches and charity clubs and stuff, would hold them outdoors uh, to raise money for various causes. Right. Yeah, I, I can picture that. I, I, I've never participated or, I think, been to one of those. But I have seen those in, like, TV shows and movies and stuff where people, like, set up their own tables, like, in, a, you know, a church This is something or I definitely have a lot of experience Really? With. So the church that I grew up attending had a Christmas bazaar every year. Um, there were two areas. No, I guess I should say three areas. So the first one was in the school gym attached to the church because this... This church had a school with it. So in the school gym, it was, like you said, lots of different tables, like tables covered in books and ornaments and handicrafts and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then the second room was the kids' Santa shop. So more like of the little junk, right? Uh -huh. Like for a quarter and stuff that so kids could actually buy their parents something, I guess. Oh, no, we did that at my school, but I don't think it was like through the, there was just a room where I was like, do you want to buy? I remember buying my mom a candle that said Joy. And it was pretty, but I was like, mom likes candles, but it was like very specifically a Christmas candle, but then it did become part of our Christmas decor every year. So I think I kind of nailed it. <laughs> um, and then the third room was, uh, was the cafeteria set up for like little snacks or whatever. Got it, got it. Okay. Um, but like we went to this every year. There were lots of raffles and stuff. My dad won a Christmas tree one year. He won. Um, we've talked about this. Win. Yeah, your dad tends to He's win raffles. Pretty good at raffling. I don't know how that's a skill you can develop, but it seems like he has. Anyway, so when did the the garage sale, yard sale, rummage sale become the American tradition we all know and love today? If I had to guess, can I guess? Yes. 1950s. Yep, 50s and 60s. Nailed it. I figured it was after World War II, mm -hmm. people back home, they bought homes, they filled it with stuff. Yep. And then they're like, oh, man, new, better stuff is out. That's right. What do I do with all this old stuff? Right? Because before then, right, if you're thinking about, hey, young people, if you're not old like me, I'm 96, but- there was a time where the things people had in their home was only what they needed. Exactly. And then, you know, you go through the Depression, you go through World War One, you go through well, rationing. Okay, second, uh, second thought is during the Victorian era into the Edwardian era, well-off people always had extra things, but like curio point, cabinets and things like that. But you had space at that point to put it, you know? Like, if you were that well-off, you could true. put it in storage. Yeah. Right. But that's what we see is these people who came home from war, bought houses, got married, had kids. There was the middle class for like the first time in America, really. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'm buying stuff. I'm putting stuff on these shelves. Look out, world. And they're like, oh, a new blender, you say. Ooh, what do I do with this old blender? Exactly. Um, so 
they only ramped up in the 70s and 80s because, again, consumerism ramped up, right? Um, and people would start at this point you had to reach a wider audience, right? You had more stuff to sell. Everybody had stuff to sell. So you had to start putting out ads and flyers and cardboard signs and stuff. I I, I remember looking in the classifieds in the newspaper for mm-hmm. nearby rummage sale and putting ads in there, like buying by, because like I said, we used to do it all the time. And like buying ad space in like the classifieds to list your rummage sale. Totally. Um, And so... This is probably, you know, probably doesn't need to be said, but let's say it anyway. You're buying other people's junk, right? So the drawback. Well, well, person's trash. Okay. Yeah. So the drawback of these kind of sales is like there's no way to look up authenticity or like search by an item or anything like that this is the thing with this is why i'm saying it's a gamble because you see a painting and you're like i think that's a famous painting and you pay a hundred dollars for it you get hung like this is not a famous painting it is now worth a hundred dollars or whatever yeah and also the other downside is that they're typically outside right Mm -hmm. unless you have a school gym or whatever um so you can't really do them year round but yes you can well, you left out another downside, too, which we'll talk about in a bit. But go on. The Enter. Other, I thought you were going to say because it was outside, you can't plug stuff in to test it. We'll talk oh, about that in a little We'll bit. talk about okay. that later. I'm going to say enter eBay. Uh-huh. So once we all got on the World Wide Web. Well, you know what? Let's talk about this in a second. But first, how about I think you know for our sponsors? Okie doke. This week, we want to send a special thank you to DoorDash, not just for sponsoring our show, but for helping to keep restaurants in our area safe and open. The way that it works is DoorDash allows you to order your favorite dishes from your favorite local restaurants without ever having to set foot outside of your house. You go on the DoorDash app, you choose the restaurant and the food you want, then a DoorDash driver safely picks it up brings it to your house, leaves it safely outside your door, and then they text you to say, hey, your food's outside your door. Bada bing, bada boom, you got your food. It's that easy. All you gotta do is use the new contact delivery drop-off setting, and you'll get the food that you want safely. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more and zero delivery fees for their first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter code SCHMANNERS. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code SCHMANNERS. Don't forget, that's code SCHMANNERS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. We also want to send a special thank you to Quip, Once again, not just for sponsoring the show, but for keeping my pearly whites so shiny bright. That's right. My teeth wouldn't be what they are without Quip. You know, for a long time, I had dentists say, like, you need to get an electric toothbrush. But I always thought they were so clunky and bulky, and they just never felt right. Well, Quip takes care of that. It's a compact design, gentle vibrations, and it's effective. Plus, listen, a lot of us are using old, worn-out bristles. With Quip, you get a new brush head every three months, 
and and it's just five dollars for that refill, and that includes like toothpaste and stuff. It's a great deal. And by the way, that toothpaste, it's my favorite. The mint is one of my favorite toothpaste I've ever had in this world. And they now have scaled down electric toothbrushes for kids. It helps you. It's got internal vibrations and an internal timer that keeps you to that two-minute recommended time that none of us are brushing our teeth long enough. So Quip helps you take care of that. And like I said, you get that brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills automatically delivered every three months for just $5. And if you go to getquip.com slash schmanners right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash schmanners. It's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash schmanners. Quip, the good habits company. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round Round Springfield. Springfield. Round Springfield is a Simpsons-adjacent podcast where we talk to your favorite Simpsons writers, voice actors, and everyone who's worked on the show to talk about shows that aren't The Simpsons. So we're going to be talking to people like David X. Cohen, Yeardley Smith, Tim Long about other projects they've worked on, sometimes projects that didn't go well. Mm. Some failures. Yeah. Some rejections. Some failed pilots. (laughs) Some failed life events. Yeah. We just talked to all the failures of The Simpsons. Yeah. So if you really love your Simpsons trivia and want to get to know the people who have worked on The Simpsons a little bit better, come by Round Springfield. Every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, now you mentioned something about an electronic bay of some sort? Exactly. A virtual yard sale. Known as Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, eBay. Yes. Um, so here's the here's the thing, right? If you have to categorize something on the internet, it becomes easily searchable. You are able to figure out and cross-reference how much things are worth. What? You just lose a little bit so of the gamble. Disappointed. It's just you're losing a little bit of the magic for me. A little bit of the gamble, because now someone could see it and you're like, ooh, I'm gonna try to buy that for fifty cents. And someone else comes in like, that is worth a hundred dollars. What do you want? Like, and then they start buying. I also I will always, always, always have a distaste in my mouth for eBay because of Beanie Babies. Um. I think like I think Beanie Babies were what they were. And listen, this is not me saying boo beanie baby. I'm saying that <laughs> like the actual truth about beanie babies, if you like do a little bit of research into how that like boomed, right? It was all like inflation, basically. And it was all because of things like eBay becoming prevalent as like beanie babies were becoming prevalent and the market just like there was a huge beanie baby bubble. Um yeah. that is to say. So I will always feel weirded out about eBay because of that. Okay, well, it's not the only site you can go to today. There are lots of global tracking sites like yardsales.net that can, you know, take you to any sale that's listed, really. Um, So why is it so important in our culture, important enough that there is a National Yard Sale Day, the second Sunday of August? That was, wait, that was this week. It was this week. That's why we're doing this episode. Yeah. Here it is. The historic Highway 127 yard sale. What? Um, I hadn't heard of it, but our researcher, Alex, has been there. What? Yeah. Um, So it's uh, 690 miles of bargains, hand-me-downs, and one man's trash is another man's treasure along... Highway 127. 
Um, it starts in Addison, Michigan, and ends in Gladson, Alabama. Whoa. So thousands of vendors take place all weekend, all along the road, you know, could be massive community parks or churches or even just people's homes. Um, and apparently that's where Alex got a lot of her school clothes every year. Huh. That is cool. See, now this is what I'm saying, right? Because this is why I scoffed when you said you're buying other people's junk, right? Because I think of it more as we all, okay, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say a large chunk of at least the U.S. population has more than we need. Yes. Right? And so there are things that, okay, look at it this way, right? Blender, right? Mm-hmm. Say, ah, oh, but I want to get a blender that has eight speeds, and this one only has five speeds, but it works perfectly well, right? Yeah. And so I know I'm going to buy that eight-speed one, but rather than just, like, throw away the five-speed one, I'm going to sell it to somebody for $5 instead of them going out and paying $50 for a new blender, right? That's why, to me, garage sales and, like, rummage sales and stuff are are magical, I mean, it's part of the reduce, reuse, recycle, like, bliss, But right? also, in in a weird way, and I'm not speaking hyperbolically, it's kind of a redistribution of wealth in a way okay. of, like, hey, you couldn't afford to buy this blender new, and you need a blender, and I don't need this blender anymore, so I'm going to sell it to you. Okay, so here's here's why a good example of this, right? For a while, and we are seeing a drop-off of it now... But for a while, places like GameStop had this weird stranglehold on the secondhand video game system, right? You would take your video game into GameStop to trade it in for money, and they might, if you're lucky, give you $5 for a game. And then they'd turn around and sell it for $45. Still cheaper Mm. than if you're buying it new, but a huge markup, right? Yeah. And so that is why I don't like this middleman kind of thing. Because the whole point of it to me is like, well, I beat this game. I'm not playing this game anymore. It's taking up room on my shelf. I want money to buy new things. I will sell it to you for a cheaper price, right? For 10 bucks. And I get 10 bucks back and you get the game for 10 bucks, right? And so then when you introduce this middleman who's like, I'll give you five bucks for it. And I'm about to make $40 off that sale. That, that, anyway, listen here. I know I'm on a tangent. If it's for charity. I think that that's fine. No, I'm. but this is what I'm saying. Yes, for charity or whatever. Or if you're just like selling it in your yard. But as soon as you say like, I don't want to have a yard sale, so I'm just going to give this to you and then you sell it. And that person's like, cool, I'm going to mark this way, way up and make a ton of money off of your old stuff. Oh, that's okay. consumerism that I don't care for. All right. That I don't care for. And they're buying it and they're selling it and they're slapping it on a lunchbox. All right. Hey, sorry. Speaking I, I of, just, I just uh, ranted there for hey, a while, and I apologize. Okay. Let's let's turn this a little bit. Take a Please. little bit, bit of a right turn. I'll take here. some deep breaths. Let's talk about some accidentally discovered fortunes. Yes, please. So, in 2012, a this man. This is why we watch Antiques Roadshow, yes, right? Yes, of course is why it is. Any human being watches Antiques Roadshow because it's like uh, I bought this pot for like 50 cents a day. Oh, did you? 50 cents. Wow, it's interesting you would say that. This, this is worth is a million dollars. <laughs> this it's is from Louis an ancient 13th, Chinese dynasty. Like, peed in this pot. It's worth a lot of money. <laughs> so in 2012, a man bought a sketch at a yard sale for $5. Uh-huh. Turned out it was an original Andy Warhol worth $2 million. Get out of the town. I know. 
Another person in 2008 bought a $5 box of old documents only to discover an old Coca-Cola stock certificate worth $130 million. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. This is the game. You're talking to me and it's like, I'm itching to go to a yard sale right now. I'm like, let me buy all your old stuff and let me see if any of it's worth $130 some million. Here's one more. Okay. A man named Richard Norgensen uh-huh. bought 65 peculiar little glass plates at a rummage sale in 2000, uh-huh. only to find that they were original photo negatives taken by Ansel Adams. <gasps> he paid $45 for something that was later appraised for $200 million. This is what I'm saying, folks. Yeah, but like these are three examples. Okay. Let's think about maybe, okay, let's say that like maybe 10 people a year end up with something like this, but like not like over 600,000 people go to yard sales every year. But this is my point. But this is my point, Teresa. Teresa, Teresa, can I make my point? Teresa, can I say this? Can I say one thing, please? Please, Teresa, can I say one thing? One thing? They bought those things because they liked them or because they were interested in them or because they wanted to check them out, right? And then they ended up being worth money. They did not know that those were like photo prints of Ansel Adams. They did not know no. that, that was a sketch by Annie Warhol. I'm no. saying you go to a rummage sale. You see something you like, you buy it, then maybe you get it appraised. You, I just feel like you have this this treasure hunter instinct. Of course and I, I do. I'm saying that the odds of finding that are remarkably slim. Well, yes, but that's what makes it so delicious. All right. Hey, let's do some etiquette. Okay. I have questions. Do you want to do questions? And then we'll talk about etiquette in between. Sure. Okay. Anna asks, how do you stand your ground on prices? I know it's important to haggle slash negotiate, but how do you politely put your foot down when you know the value of your items? Okay. This is my feeling on this. And then, Teresa, you tell me if I am wrong. I think that... Haggling and negotiating are a thing, mm-hmm. but not when you know the value of something. Well, right? sure. I feel like that's a do- like if you if you put, uh, let's say, a lamp up for sale, right? And you know you bought that lamp for forty dollars. You've had it for three years. Now you're going to sell it for ten dollars, right? And you're confident in that price. And someone goes ten dollars. I'll give you two. And you're like, no. Like, I think... And I think that's all that there is to it. Like, it's not... If someone offers you something that you are not willing to accept, you just have to say, no, thanks. I'll wait for somebody who wants 10. I think it is also a thing we talk about a lot, which is, it is the way you say it. Absolutely. Uh, No. Makes it sound like you want to negotiate. Yes. You're like, no, the price is 10. Here's an etiquette do that you can think about as far as this goes. If something has a price on it, Probably not negotiable. That's fair. If something does not have a price tag, price sticker, isn't labeled with a price, I think that uh, they'd be willing to negotiate. I would also be so go so far as to, like if you find a box of, for example, records, right? Sure. And it's like each record is a dollar and there's 60 records in the box and you say, I'll give you 50 for the whole box. Yeah. Like that. that is something that I Quantity think- Quantity definitely right. requires a little bit of leeway. Right. Because they probably weren't expecting to sell all the records. Cause that's a, okay. Here's the one thing, folks. If you want, if you want to haggle, you need to go at the end of the day. Mm hmm. That's another do. 
Because that means that they, like, they don't want to take that stuff back in. And, right, this is, I also, I bring that up because I wanted to tie into this question. Tyler asked, is it rude to ask someone to hold an item for you if you might come back for it? Or is it okay to hide something away amongst either items and come back for it? No and no. Thank you for asking. Holds are something that you have to do if you are absolutely certain you're going to come back for it. And as a seller, I would recommend that if you are asked to hold something, something you ask for payment to hold it. Yes. At least um, a deposit. Even if you're like, oh, I want to buy this, but I don't have the cash to pay for it. I'm like, okay, well, give me $10 now. Right. And like your phone number or something. And then you come back. So that way, if if somebody comes and says, I want to buy it right now, they can call you and say, hey, are you coming back? Because I have a buyer here right now who wants this thing. Right. I, I think that the payment is is key here. And here's the thing about hiding something, right? Like, if you're not going to come back for it, that's kind of kind of shady. Yeah. 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 I would say, I would say. If you can't buy something right now and you don't have the money, what are you doing at a garage sale? <laughs> this is this is an excellent point. And like I said, the problem here is like to ask somebody to hold something. It's like they're not a store. And even then, you wouldn't go to a store and be like, can you hold all this stuff for me? I might be back later. Even with layaway, you yeah. have to put money down. Right. Um, and so like I, I, I totally understand if like something up your uh, – the way of your thinking happens where like you find this giant treasure, right? right? This like huge standing mirror, right? And we don't have room in the car for this huge standing mirror. So what would happen is I would pay for the mirror and say, I will be back with the van yes. by four o'clock. Right. Right. So that's what you need to do in order to facilitate the goodwill, you know? Yes. Um, so in the same vein, facilitate some more goodwill and don't be early to garage sales. Yeah. If the flyer whatever says starts at 8, don't show up at 7 expecting someone to open up their garage sale for you when they're not ready. And vice versa, if it says it goes till say 3, don't show up at 2:59 and start browsing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like although I do believe that at the end of the day, people are a little more lenient with that. But like, if I am at my kitchen table drinking coffee and someone's beating down my door saying, hey, I'm early for the garage sale, I'd be like, hey, go back home. Yes, completely (laughs) agree. Uh, This is from Bloop the Bee. How would you accurately price something? I have old things that I don't remember how much they were. I wouldn't want to overprice it, but I need to make a profit. What is appropriate? Well, profit is... I, I. I don't think people make a profit on a garage sale. I don't. So I think how much the thing was doesn't necessarily always factor in. Yeah. Unless it was like a super expensive item and you're trying to recoup some of that expense. Mm-hmm. My my advice would be sort of a Marie Kondo kind of thing where you want to look at it and think like, if I let go of this right now, how much money would I want to be in my hand? You know what I mean? Like, it's got to sure. be like. Do I feel comfortable giving this? Because what you don't want to do is say like, oh, it's $3. And then the next day someone's like, I'll give you $3 for it. And you're like, it doesn't seem like enough. (laughs) I don't know. How about five? I'm like, but the sticker says three. three. Yes, but I'm kind of reverse haggling. (laughs) Okay. I think what you need to do is you need to consider how much you paid for the item 
divided by how old it is, the condition it's in, is it something that people that like a lot of people would want? So if it's something highly specific, let's say a pair of super small boots or whatever, like these were fairly expensive. They fit your feet, but they're size four. So not a lot of people are going to fit in it. You've worn them a lot. They're pretty worn down. So even though you paid 80 bucks for it, maybe like $5 is what you should ask for it because it was an expensive luxury item that you have enjoyed and not a lot of other people will enjoy. Conversely, Uh something like maybe I'm going to say like a a painting, right? Uh, Some paintings can be hundreds of dollars. If you're going to sell a painting at a yard sale, um, I I mean, that's that's you're probably not going to get as much for it as you bought it for at a yard sale. Um, But It's not something that depreciates in value with use. Like it doesn't wear out as you look at it. Yes. So you can charge more. Really hard. (laughs) So you can charge more. If you're looking close and your eyelashes are brushing against it, (laughs) you're too close. They're too close. (laughs) Uh, And maybe it has mass appeal. You know, so you can ask for a little more because you think that a lot more people will be interested in it. The thing I think you need to decide before you start pricing things is what is your goal? Are you trying to make money or are you trying to make room? Mm. Right? And I think if you're trying to make money, you're trying to price things in such a way that you will make money and feel good at the end of the day. Right? If you're trying to make room, you want to price things to move. Right? And say, like, everything on this table is a dollar. Right? And it's mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I, I don't need money for the. I just have too much stuff. And I know if I take it to this place, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. I I also I want to say now um we Teresa and I we don't do rummage sales now because when we have stuff we don't need we'll donate it to somewhere that like either disperses right. it to people or resells it to raise money for charity right and I think that you see people doing that more and more as donation drop offs are getting easier and easier and so like you know I I just wanted to throw that out as we are aware that these things are like you could donate them as well. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Here's a question from Sasha. Can I host a garage sale in an apartment complex or is that rude to my neighbors? Um, in an apartment complex. I mean, step one, I'd ask your landlord. Yes. I, the owners of the building or whatever. Um, the thing is, I just don't think that it's worth your time because the foot traffic is probably not not very heavy. People are like parking and going home. Unless <laughs> unless you live in like a big city. Like if you're like an okay. apartment in like New York, right? Then like then Yeah, you- but you're out front, like on the sidewalk. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I guess when I'm thinking about like a yard or rummage sale in an apartment complex, I'm thinking about like parking lot and then like outdoor stairs to like a bank of houses or whatever, yeah. right? I think I think if you're going to do it, I would uh, first talk to your landlord mm-hmm. and say, like, is this even cool? Secondly, maybe talk to the other people in, like, 
as, as much as you know and say, like, would you want to also set up a table? Because I think, to Teresa's point, if you're going to be successful for this to, like, work, it would need to be, like, a destination garage sale. Yeah. That maybe also other people in the apartment complex would, like, go to mm-hmm. and, like, buy each other's things, at which point you would need to make them aware of it ahead of time. And you want to think about, like, parking and space and being in the way of people. Like, you wouldn't want to set up on a busy sidewalk. Yeah. Because people are just trying to get back to their homes. Or set up in like a small parking lot where people in your apartment complex can't park. Exactly. Uh, one more question here. And we kind of t- we said we talked about it, so I want to. This is from Val. How acceptable is it to examine items for functionality and how much examining is too much? Um, yeah, we talked about this as a seller. Uh, you might want to have an extension cord available to let people see if uh, if machinery works. You also might want to have some kind of like, I don't know, like PVC contraption for people to like with curtains, like to try things on if they want to sure. try things on. I mean, if you yeah, if you want to go that far, sure. Um, but I think to that if you point, wanted to move a lot of clothes, that might be a worthwhile investment. Or the other side of it is you price things lower. Right. right. If you're trying to move it and you're saying like, well, I don't have a place to try this on, but it's only a dollar. Right. Or one of the things that you will see at a lot of sales like this are the words sold as is. Yes. And if that happens, it means hypothetically, the seller doesn't know if it works or not. They just found it and put it right on the table. But it might also mean that the seller knows it doesn't work <laughs> and you are buying it. Without knowing whether it works or not. Right. So I think that it is okay to inspect electronics and things like that for obvious defects. And I think that that can also factor into negotiation, negotiations of price. Yeah. Right. Um, but what I don't think that you should do is say something comes with, okay, puzzles, right? Yes. Puzzles are something that end up at yard sales all the time. Uh-huh. And you can't go through a puzzle box to try and figure out if all the pieces are there. Right. That that would be bonkers. So don't don't do that, but a lot of people if you ask them is this puzzle complete, they'd be like, "Hey, I don't know." And like then you could probably get some money off of that. Right. So if you see that the puzzle has been used, been opened, that's an appropriate thing to ask instead of trying to put the puzzle together right. at the yard sale. I think there's a phrase that you hear a lot, and I think it applies to yard sales and rummage sales perhaps more than any other sale of any kind. And that is caveat emptor, buyer beware, mm. right? And so that is the trade-off, right? I talk a lot about like treasure hunting and everything at garage sales, right? But the trade-off is if you say, for example, see a drawing and you're like, maybe that's, yeah, I don't know, Picasso or whatever. <laughs> and then you buy it and it's not, you can't go back to that person and say, Oh, I, I want my $10 back. Right. Exactly. Or if you buy a camcorder. I don't know what year is it, and it doesn't work. <laughs> you can't return it, right? Like, exactly. How old am I? If you buy a uh, like a VHS tape rewinder, <laughs> a boom box. If you buy one of those boomed box that, that all the kids are playing with, with their talk boys and, and their Teddy Ruxpins. Oh my goodness gracious! That's gonna do it for us, folks. Oh boy. Oh, beans. Hey, let's say our thank yous. Okay. Thank you to MaximumFun.org, our podcast home. Thank you to everyone who is a MaxFun member 
Uh, yes, we do us. appreciate. It was a lovely drive, and that's because yes. of you. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, let's see. Thank you to Alex, our researcher, without whom we would not be able to make this show. Thank you to our children for sleeping uh, eventually. Eventually. <laughs> um, let's see. Who else, Teresa? We always thank Brent Brental Floss Black for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Kayla and Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art, which is where we get all of our uh, listener-submitted questions at Schmanner's Cast. Um, thank you to Bruja Betty Pinnett Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanner's Fanners, which you can join if you love to give and get excellent advice. Also, thank you to everyone who has been sending in topic suggestions to our Gmail, which is schmannerscast at gmail.com. Right. I, sometimes I forget. Listen, we've all been there. We've got a <laughs> lot of email accounts bouncing around, a lot of Twitter accounts. And keep sending us those idioms. We love it. Yep. Uh, and that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVB required. Oh, no, we did it backwards. We did. (laughs) You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.